I don't know if, if these were friends. It just says some men. Just then some men came carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. Were they friends, brothers, distant cousins? We don't know. All we know is that some ordinary men brought some dude because they knew a guy named Jesus. They needed to get their friend to Jesus. We don't even know how many guys it took to carry. I don't know if you've ever carried like a 50-pound bag of potatoes or something, but just like dead weight. Like this guy's paralyzed. There's no like they're helping him along. He's laying on a mat, a stretcher, if you will. We'll see. He's totally paralyzed. Can't move. So I'm imagining, and it's at least four guys, two feet, two arms, and they're just carrying this guy on this stretcher couple of things that I want to just point out to us very quick. These dudes were ordinary people. No names. They're in the Bible as some men. Christian brother and sister this morning. I think we, I think we just need more ordinary people in the world. Like, I, I think we just need normal, ordinary brothers and sisters who live out the one another's, who try their best to just point people to Jesus. We don't need a bunch of superheroes running around. We have the greatest hero, and his name is Jesus. Our role is to be ordinary men and women wherever he has us, serving in the capacity of this. Hey, I know a guy, and his name's Jesus. Yeah. You know what that does to us? It, it fights the, the pride in our heart, because the pride says, hey, look at me. Look at what I've done. Oh, yeah, I know Jesus, but look at what I've done. And here we have three, four, five ordinary men who know a guy, and his name's Jesus. I think we just need more ordinary Christian brothers and sisters. I think it's okay to be okay and just be normal and ordinary is what I'm trying to say. They had a role to play. They saw this brother with dignity and respect and value and worth. They cared for another human being. They went slow enough at their pace and their presence on this day to see another person in need. Just ordinary men and women heading to their jobs, maybe. They were willing to slow down enough to see this paralyzed man's needs and they just sacrificially loved and served this brother. Another thing I think to just make note of here thing I think of and, and do know to be true based on the context and culture. Like, I, I'm assuming there's three to five guys carrying. Maybe a couple of gals in there helping. But what I do know this is this paralyzed man, based on culture and context, he was an outcast. Sickness and disease, physical ailments in this time were complete outcasts. Like if something was wrong with you back then, it's because, look, sinner, outcast. It's because of your own sin. Matter of fact, sick people, physical ailments that, that marked them from distinctly from whether that be a, a, a mental illness, whether it be a physical ailment, whatever it was, it marked them. They were complete outcasts. They didn't even have room in the temple, for, like a place for them in the temple. You know where they had to stand and sit or wherever they were? They had to be outside the temple gates, unclean. That's what they would say to lepers. And Jesus just healed one a few verses ago. If something was wrong with you, it's because of your own sin. So this man was unwanted. He wasn't desirable. He had been thrown out and forgotten. 
Like, I wonder how many of us hear this story this morning, and we would like to think that we're the ordinary man, the ordinary men, right? Like, we would like to think, oh, of course, of course I'm going to go out of my way. Of course I would help this person. But we feel like you, mentally you can get there. Left brain, man, I know I should do this. But your actual feelings and emotions, you're the one that actually feels paralyzed, by our own fear, it's paralyzing. By our own depression, it's paralyzing. Our own anxiety, it's paralyzing. We feel like we've actually been the one marked and labeled by our sin that you've committed. Or that has been committed to you, against you. It's not even your own sin you're dealing with. You just feel marked and labeled because of what's been done, treacherous sin that has been done to you. And you feel that. Like, you know it. You know that God's for you and loves you. You know that you are the ordinary man that you would stop and go out of your way, but inside, you actually feel like the paralyzed man. You just feel like complete strangers and forgotten. Everybody look at me this morning. I know a guy. I know a guy, and his name's Jesus, who felt all of those things betrayed, he was beaten. He felt outcast. He felt alone when he asked his disciples to pray in the garden and they fell asleep. He was betrayed by one of his closest. He feels and has felt everything that you've ever felt and experienced. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, has felt that. And he says, hey, I felt that for you so you no longer have to walk in that. That shame and that guilt. You no longer actually have to feel forgotten. God turned his back on me when I was on the cross so that you never had left, God had never left you or forsaken you. Like that's the, the beauty of the good news and the gospel. It's okay if you feel that way, forgotten. We just don't want to stay that way. That's what I'm saying. I, I know a guy and his name's Jesus. We're going to see some beautiful things this morning. The same guy, these ordinary men knew they just had to get this brother to Jesus. They tried to bring him in, but look what happened. Verse 19. Since they could not find a way, we're in this house, this straw house. Jesus, the Son of God, is teaching. These men bring this paralyzed guy, and they're like, hey, we want to get you to Jesus. We know this guy. He can heal you. But man, look, the house is just a little too full. Like, we can't get you in. Like, we're so close. Maybe we can catch him on the way out. They couldn't find a way to bring him in because of the crowd. And it doesn't stop there because they know this guy named Jesus who can heal them, who can heal this friend. And so imagine this story. You're the religious person who knows everything and you're sitting in the house and Jesus, the son of God, is teaching and he, you're carrying on about. Four guys show up with a dude on a mat and like, hey, we got to get this guy to Jesus. And they're like, hey, there's no room. Like, I, you're going to have to just come back. And he's like, well, no, no, no. I know who's in there. Like, I, I know the guy that's in there. I got to get my friend to Jesus now. So what do they do? I don't know how this plays out, but I do know this. What Scripture says is they take the guy to the roof. Probably not a 12-foot roof. Maybe it's just an 8-foot roof. Whatever the case, they carry this paralyzed man. Like, that's enough right there. Just a normal 160-pound guy, 180-pound guy. They lift him up who cannot help them. He's paralyzed. They get him on the roof, and they're like, what are we going to do now? Like, we're on the roof. Like, there's no skylight. Let's make a skylight. 
Let's, let's get them in. So imagine being the owner of the house. Like you're sitting there listening to this son of God, this Messiah, this great teacher, and all of a sudden like this dust just starts to fall. It's like, what is happening? Well, who's on my roof? What is happening right now? And light begins to peel back and you see four guys-ish, three to five, whatever, four guys, it works for the story, staring at you saying, hey, hey, uh, can, you, can you take our friend? Like, I know Jesus, hey, Jesus, good to see you. Jesus, can you heal this guy? Like, can we, can we give you this man? So I don't know how that worked. I'm assuming they didn't just drop the guy. People are like, Jesus has to stop teaching. People help them, get them, and they just lay this, this, they just lay this paralyzed man at the feet of Jesus. Ordinary dudes didn't give up because they knew a guy who could help their friend. They were willing to do whatever it took. Like, what, what if we, as Christians, were willing to do whatever it took to get our friends to Jesus? It's a fly around here, sorry. Like, what, what if that was our heart? I got to get my friends to Jesus. Jesus is the guy. He is the guy that can help here. So they get through the roof. They lower him down. Here lies this paralyzed man, totally helpless at this point. The outcast, the unwanted, the forgotten man lying in the feet of all of the prestigious religious leaders who know it all, probably dressed in their robes and, and carrying their, their stature because look at who they are in society. And lying at the feet of Jesus is this paralyzed man. Like, seriously, man, we paid good money to be here. Like, what, what are we doing? Jesus, in verse 20, he actually, something unique happens. He says he sees their faith. He looks at this man who's in total desperation, and he calls him friend. I'm going to say that one more time. This helpless, unwanted, maybe even a little bit skeptic, maybe this, this guy, we don't know if he's been outside the temple and outcast for just two days or if he's been paralyzed since birth and just unwanted. Jesus, the Son of God, looks at him and calls him friend. What a beautiful, just introduction. Friend. Jesus isn't angry. He doesn't turn to this guy and say, you're really, you're, I, mean, I, was, I was at the peak of the sermon. You're messing this up for me, man. He calls him friend. He looks at this man in total desperation and calls him friend. He doesn't say, look and see what your sins have done to you. He doesn't turn his head in disgust. He actually turns to him. Jesus sees him. I need you to hear this. Jesus sees you this morning. Wherever you find yourself, the ordinary men, the religious leader who knows it all but doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, or the total outcast, full of just desperation, hopeless man, I know a guy and his name's Jesus, and he can call you friend. And that's what we see here. He calls him friend, and he also says, your sins are forgiven. Like, I, I find it interesting. Jesus had just healed many people up to this point. He doesn't just lay hands on this guy. Like, clearly, there's something wrong with him. Clearly, this guy is paralyzed because he just, like, fell down at the feet of Jesus. They, they said, here. Like, he knows something's wrong. Jesus just healed people with leprosy. Why can't he just heal him right now? He doesn't just lay hands at first and tell the dude to get up. He says, how much easier... Well, back up. Instead, we see what happens. Jesus speaks forgiveness to this man. 
your sins are forgiven. Like I can only imagine this playing out. I'm sure you could hear a pin drop in this place at this moment. A man who could do nothing for himself. A man who's totally dependent and relying on Jesus for whatever comes. He doesn't even know if this is going to work. His friends just said, let's go. I know a guy. And he's like, all right, I got nothing better going on today. Like, what is he going to do today? He doesn't know. Fully dependent, relying on Jesus for whatever comes. Nowhere to go. Packed house. And in the presence of a bunch of fans, people who know about Jesus, people who think Jesus is just some really good guy, maybe a prophet, he could be a priest. I don't think he's the king. I don't think he's really the Messiah. I've heard he is, but I know a lot about this Jesus. Just, I'm just a fan of Jesus, and he finds himself in the midst of all of these fans, but they weren't followers. If you've been around in our Judges series, last week I said, hey, it's possible to say Jesus is king, but live like you're the king. That's who's in the room. They all thought Jesus was king, a good man, but they lived as if they were the king. And so you have this helpless man. Now here's the son of God. Turn to him and speak these beautiful words. Your sins are forgiven. Quiet place. I can't even imagine. Dust has settled. Everybody can see through. How's Jesus going to respond? And he looks at him and he says, your sin, friend, your sins are forgiven. In that instance, Jesus speaks life-changing words to a man who could do nothing to save himself. Maybe, I think I've been clear. He could do nothing to save himself. And what does Jesus do? He speaks life-changing words to this man. And man, does this rock their world. All the religious fans. I love this next part, verse 21 through 22. Then the scribes and the Pharisees, hear me, began to think to themselves... They didn't even talk it out loud. I want to be very clear. All of these religious people begin to think to themselves. Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 22. But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, Why are you thinking this in your hearts? One more just big thing for us this morning. Perceiving their thoughts. They didn't even have courage to question out loud. They didn't have courage to, to, to be skeptical of Jesus out loud, but he perceived their thoughts. Can I just tell you that Jesus is big enough to handle all of your fear? He's big enough to handle all of your anxiety. He's big enough to handle all of your doubt and skepticism. He's big enough even when you are frustrated at him. You might even be angry with him. You might have those why questions. Can I just tell you he's big enough? I know a guy who can handle this. He can handle all of that. And you can take it to him. And he might, in faith, just look at you and say, Hey, friend, your sins are forgiven. Like, I, I know you. You're mine. Your sins are forgiven. The Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible never preaches religion. Not a, it's, it's never a, hey, do a bunch of good things, clean yourself up, then I'll save you. His kingdom is not of this world. It's backwards. All throughout his teachings, we see it's an upside-down kingdom. He's preaching to a group of people who know how to look good and act right. 
They knew the law. They knew the do's and the don'ts, the ins and the outs. But what Jesus was preaching was not of this world. He would say things like, hey, the first will be last in my kingdom. What does that mean? I've worked hard to get to where I'm at. He would say things like, blessed are the poor in spirit. He would honor the humble. He doesn't come for those who claim to have it all figured out. He's here to take dead people who are fully dependent on him, who could do nothing to save themselves and to take dead people and make them new. That's, that's what Jesus does. Like these religious people, they were missing the good news of Jesus. So Jesus is preaching this invitation to be very clear, this invitation to come to him. Bruised, broken, busted, hurting, tired. It's an invitation to friendship. Friends, your sins are forgiven. Religions will say, do this. Maybe you'll be good enough. Jesus says, hey, I'm more than enough. Because of what I've done, you can now be made clean. Like what an invitation. Religion says, hey, work hard. Maybe you'll earn your salvation. Jesus says, I've already accomplished it for you. Walk in grace and mercy. What an invitation. Religion says, hey, just throw some more money at me. Maybe you'll achieve or purchase your way into heaven. And Jesus says, my blood paid the cost for you. I've paid your debt. What you would even give back to me is already mine anyways. I don't want that. I just actually just want all of you. I just want this friendship. What an invitation. And in verse 3, we see this message obviously made the religious folks angry, perceiving their thoughts. He already knew that they'd push back. He already knew that they wouldn't like this message. He already knew that they would try to add to his message of grace and mercy. Like he already knew. And even still, we have this beautiful word, but. But, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But so that you may... But so that you make know, you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus just shows up, shows off. He shows up and he shows off. He reads their minds, he knows their hearts, he wants all of them. Like if he healed the man first, many would say he's just a good prophet, healer, priest, king, whatever. Instead, Jesus reveals to them that he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is their prophet, priest, and their king. He is who he says he is. And then after that, we see him look back at this paralyzed man who did nothing to earn his salvation. And what happens? His sins are forgiven. He hears his new friend Jesus say, get up and take your stretcher and go home. Immediately, verse 25 and 26, in closing, like immediately we see what happens. What a beautiful story. What a beautiful sight to see. The unwanted and the unloved made clean and new in Jesus. The result, everyone was astounded. You took that man, not only did you speak, like you healed him. That was really cool. Like some people were like, wow, you healed him. And they missed out on, but he also forgave them, forgave this gentleman of his sins and like gave him an invitation into eternity, uh, an eternal party and celebration. And then other people were like, here, oh man, your sins are forgiven. That's really cool. But did you see this guy? I've watched this guy on the corner for seven years. He couldn't even move. He just walked out. Friend, Jesus invites us into this beautiful adventure. He is the good news. The person of Jesus is the gospel. I close with Ephesians 2. I put it in your liturgy guide. This is the good news of Jesus. If you've never heard this good news before, I just want to just gently encourage you. I, I've tried my best to earn my way to heaven. 
I've tried my best to work myself, to, to have this approval that God, God, if I would just do more for God, if I could just do more and be better, that maybe God would look at me. Maybe he would love me. And you know, if I can just be honest with you, like there's not a thing I could do for God to turn his back on me. He's already called me mine. He's already called me his. Chosen, beloved. I was dead. He redeemed me. And because of that, he, he never turns his back on me. He doesn't see dirty, busted, broken. He sees my son's blood was shed for you, Matthew. I love you, son. You're mine. You're cherished. No matter what happened yesterday, no matter what's happening right now, no matter where you head tomorrow, I love you. I'll never turn my back on you. Ephesians 2, Paul says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived. Not hanging on by a thread. You were dead. According to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh, living out what we wanted to do. Everything was right in our eyes. Our thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. Verse 4, but God, one of the most beautiful starts of a sentence. We were dead, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, he made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages... He does this so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you, Christian brother and sister, have been saved by grace through faith and it is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. Not from works so that no one can boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. What a gift. Man, I know a guy. And his name's Jesus, and he saves and heals and restores and renews. What's keeping you from going all in on following Jesus today? Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. As we get a chance to celebrate your goodness to us, Lord, would you, um, man, God, would you just open up the eyes of the blind this morning? Like we're about to celebrate what you've done in the lives of seven, two children, two youth, and three adults, Lord. You are alive and at work and doing beautiful things, and I just ask for more of it. Open up the eyes of the blind. Heal the brokenhearted. God, you are worthy to be praised. Like even in, in all of our doubts or skepticism, like you, you still pursue our hearts. I don't know where everybody stands with you this morning, but I know this. I know a guy, it's you, and I ask in a powerful, maybe even a gentle, beautiful invitation to your, your people here this morning to look at them and would you call them friend and invite them into this beautiful adventure of life, of following after you, of going all in and saying, God, I was dead, I couldn't help myself. I tried everything and you reached down at the bottom of the ocean. I was dead and you pulled me out and you didn't just do surgery on my heart. You gave me a new one. You raised me up into the newness of Christ to where I could walk with you. And I don't have all the answers. I don't have it all figured out. 
I'm probably still going to stumble and trip and fall, but I know this. You love me and you know my name. You've written it on your heart and you'll never leave me. I want that hope for men and women and children here today who have never experienced it. I want so badly for them to just throw in the towel and say, God, I, I've tried everything and this is my last ditch effort here. God, would you draw near to that person? Any hurt? Would you heal and restore in your time? Would you give them a friend? Would you be that friend? But also, God, would you give them a community who loves you? We love you, God. We have much to be thankful for, much to celebrate. And we want to keep doing that because you are in the business. We know a guy, and it's you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.